Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. And I'm going to not swear. It's going to be a big challenge for me, and I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Clean clean up your ass. If I can do it every day, you can do it. He's already got the bleep ready. Hey, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown... Bidenomics is about building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Bidenomics is working. Creating jobs and lowering costs for hardworking families, that's Bidenomics. Because the country should know the facts. They should know the choice between Bidenomics and Maganomics. That, of course, was President Joe Biden talking about his economic message. Today we have with us two women who are experts in messaging. Anat Shankar Osorio is a communications researcher and campaign advisor who hosts the Words to Win by podcast. And Jennifer Fernandez Ancona is co-founder and vice president of Way to Win. It's a Democratic donor network aimed at electing a diverse slate of progressives. And they're both the authors of new research offering Democrats a messaging roadmap for 2024. Anat and Jennifer Welcome back to The Breakdown. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks again for having us. So tell us how you two became messaging experts. What What is your background? Jennifer, we can start with you. You kind of came from a less, I would say, traditional route to, to where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, originally I was a journalist, so that's where I came into politics from being a, a news reporter for the Los Angeles Times. And then from there, I did a lot of communications work in the political sectors that I was working in. So I always had a narrative communications writing lens to what I do. Um, I I would not say I'm a message expert like a not, but what I try to do is um, just I really believe in the kind of messaging work that a not and others do. And I really want to support bringing that to more organizations, to more candidates on the Democratic and progressive side. So I see my role as helping to support this ecosystem of of messaging, research and advice and implementation. Help the messengers get their message out. Exactly. <laughs> and Anat? I see her as far too modest. <laughs> um, uh, so my come coming up through this came from a background in linguistics, from a stint uh, studying with and working with George Lakoff, of course, of uh, UC Berkeley fame emeritus now in linguistics. Uh, After that, working to try to apply concepts which are often relegated to academia around perception and persuasion and how people come to judgments in 
married to empiricism. Drew Weston says that empiricism is the best possible cure for ego. And anytime you think you're clever about messaging, watching people in focus groups, read what you have said <laughs> and basically tear it to bits and pieces pretty quickly debunks that. Well, that raises a good question. Like, how do you come up with these messages? Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and how much of it is polling? How much of it is focus groups? How much of it is common sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So... It's, it is uh, de todo un poco, as we would say in Spanish, a little bit of everything. And we come up with the status quo messages against which we test because it's important to also understand how prevailing messages are working. We look at opposition messages. So those come from landscape analyses of kind of what is dominant in the discourse. And then as far as coming up with, well, how else could we talk about this? What other frames are available to us? That comes, at least in my shop, from a pretty concerted and deliberate language analysis where we will look at, you know, how are people talking about this issue in social media, in pop culture, in advocacy, in different states, and looking at things like metaphor, looking at things like passive versus active voice framing, and then we will test them. And that testing can happen qualitatively through focus groups, through in-depth interviews, and it can happen quantitatively, sometimes through traditional surveys, sometimes through more rigorous things like randomized control trials, Sometimes so this is real science. Sometimes, real science. you know, there's there's some science. There's some numbers. There's some large samples. Test tubes and stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we we put people into test tubes and, and then, then figure out who they want to vote for. You figured it well, out. Can so, I just yeah? Can I just say yeah? <laughs> Bring us back to reality. Here. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, we really believe that messaging needs to be actionable, and so we t- take this approach at Way to Win that's like listening plus art plus science. So we want to have deep listening of the actual voters that we need to win so we understand really what is going on with them in a, in a deep level, not just a surface level, and then bring art to the table where we we create ads, we make messages to see, can you tell mm. the story in 30 seconds? Can it actually land in this format? And then we test that through the science um, that Anat talked about. So we see, does this actually move the voters we're trying to, to reach from where they are to where we want them to be? And, and can we define winning in a clear way? Because oftentimes in traditional political research, winning is defined as the message that gets the highest aggregate score, right? The most people mm. like this. And if the message's job were to run for homecoming queen, that'd be swell, but it's not. The message's job is actually to take the choir and make them want to sing. Because if your words don't spread, they don't work. And so we need to understand what are the messages that the folks who are already within our coalition are willing to put on a t-shirt, put on a hat, say over and over again, that will also persuade the conflicted. And that's mm-hmm. what we're measuring for. So, well, let's talk about that because you in 2022 had some very clear advice for how Democrats should run and win. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that was, how it diverged from conventional wisdom, and then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I can start. Um, You know, we knew going into the 2022 cycle that it wasn't going to be easy. We were facing historic headwinds that we understood were there, but we also felt like there was a lot of focus on that and a lot of doom and gloom, and there wasn't actually enough focus on what could be possible, given that we knew, number one, that the January 6th hearings were going to happen over the summer and that we knew that jobs would be overturned. We, we knew that going into the cycle, mm-hmm. that something was going to happen. Meaning Roe would be overturned. I'm sorry. Roe would be overturned. <laughs> 
that would be Bye, dogs. Dogs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. Um, that the Dobbs decision would come out overturning Roe. We knew that would happen. So um, so we, we kind of went in thinking if this is just going to be a business as usual election where it's going to be a referendum against the party in power on things like gas prices and inflation, we're probably going to lose. So we have to make this election about something else. Well, in, in, in 2022, it, it did turn out that abortion was a huge issue and continues to be apparently. But I'm wondering, because in the past, you know, Democrats might have been told, well, don't talk about abortion because you're going to turn off certain voters. So what does it take to change, to flip that? And, and where suddenly something becomes a good issue to it, talk about. It's not only that they were told that, they were literally calling it, and I quote, the A word because wow. it was simply too polarizing. Because again, if you approach politics from the vantage point of, I'm going to measure where folks already are, what their top issue is, what they care the most about, what they consider to be too, quote unquote, polarizing, then you're simply always going to be in responsive mode. And what actually works in messaging is to understand where is it that I need people to be and what do I need to repeat over and over to get them there? And so... What, so what was that? Yeah, tell us what it was. So what that ended up being after we made in the aggregate, uh, Jen and I and our partners, around 200 ads over the summer of 2022 acting early. And then we started to randomize control trial test them to look for patterns. What is it about certain ads that are popping, that are moving vote choice, that are moving enthusiasm, that are moving interest? And what we found is a set of things, the first of which was that it was absolutely vital to draw a contrast. In some cycles, pure positive ads work. In some cycles, pure negative over and away in 2022, we see the same pattern happening in 24. Ads that offered a contrast, a protagonist and an antagonist were popping. Who are those two characters? What we found, obviously, was that the antagonist was MAGA Republicans and very specifically MAGA Republicans who want to take away your freedoms. That takeaway freedoms, freedoms, mm. plural, that takeaway phrase activating something we call in psychology loss aversion. Mm. Very potent. And the protagonist was the voter. So it was a setup in the contrast between these folks who want to take away your freedoms and you, voter, listening to this ad, watching this speech, et cetera, et cetera, who can protect our freedoms. What we found is that abortion became, in that paradigm, the salient exemplar. Mm -hmm. It is what made it no longer seem like, oh, we're just chicken little over here screaming that the sky is falling, making up that something's going to happen for political expediency. It was concrete. Concrete, concrete. And it was proof of a broader agenda. They have done this. And so what that means is that they're going to come for the rest of your freedoms. Your freedom to pick your own leaders, to count your, to make sure you can cast your vote and have it counted, your freedom economically to retire in dignity, mm. to earn a good living and have a good life. So you're not only broadening out or changing the message so that it affects or it reaches women, but other people who might more broadly care about rights writ large. Exactly. And you guys have a word you made up. 
Oh, <laughs> tell us about that. Moby suasion. Yeah. Uh, yes. So and in the political messaging world, you'll often hear it break down between persuasion messages and mobilization messages or a persuasion strategy and a mobilization strategy. And and the persuasion strategy just historically has focused on a certain kind of demographic, a person in the middle, mostly white, you know, living in being at a sitting at a diner. And then the mobilization is like the younger people and the people of color who, you know, you don't really have to talk to them that much. You just need to remind them where to show up and then they're going to show up and vote for you. It's really a taking for granted of Mm -hmm. that part of the base. So when we say mobisuasion, it's like to get people to mobilize, we actually have to persuade them in this moment as to why they should choose coming out and voting for this person or this party over sitting over being on the couch, right? It's it's, It's not just a question of do they know when and where to go? It's like, do they why? actually care? Yeah. Do they know why they should go? Do they know why they should vote for this person? And so it's it's that idea. And it's also the idea that, which Anat can say more about, that when we have an overarching frame that we want everyone to repeat and repeat and repeat, like protect our freedoms, we want to make sure that it does the job of, of both persuading and mobilizing people to come off the couch and persuading those middle of the road people mm-hmm. to choose a, for example, Democrat over a really, really extreme uh, MAGA Republican. All right. Well, that's a great transition to 2024. We have to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get all into that. We are talking to Democratic messaging gurus, Anat Shankar Osorio and Jennifer Fernanda and Kona. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Today, our guests are Democratic strategists and not Shankar Osorio and Jennifer Fernandez and Kona. They released new research last month examining what economic messaging is most likely to work for Democratic candidates this election year. And we want to find out what you all learned. So you've put out this 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 brief, these papers, um, sort of giving this roadmap, um, including things like how Democrats can appeal to both swing and surge voters. I love that term, surge mm-hmm. voters, people who don't vote all the time. Appeal to young voters, black and Latino voters. Um, and you have some pretty specific principles. So at the top, we heard Biden talking about Bidenomics. 
is that part of what you think they should be mm-hmm. doing? <laughs> well, I think what we really learned across this series of six studies that we conducted in 2023 is that if we confine ourselves to a conversation, which is a common conversation that many, many politicians have had on both sides of the aisle for a long time, Uh, that I call who loves the economy best. And that conversation Mm -hmm. goes, the Republicans say, we make sweet love to the economy by giving rich people more money (laughs) and tax breaks. And Democrats say, no, (laughs) the way that you make sweet love to the economy is by occasionally paying people more and perhaps providing them some sort of social services. But ultimately, what that is, is a conversation where the objective is this abstraction, the economy, which is, in fact, not real. And I say this, some of my best friends are economists, but the economy (laughs) is, in fact, not real. It's just a convention by which we measure human activity. In contrast, when we have a conversation about who is best for your economic well-being, who is going to be good for your family, who's going to care about your future, Voters credit Democrats on those fronts. Mm -hmm. When they are asked who is going to grow the economy, despite the fact that it actually is Democrats, objectively speaking, over time, voter perception is that Republicans ace that. However, the thing they actually care more about is not how it's doing, but how they're doing. And so the conversation for Democrats can't be, here's what we've done for the economy. Here's how we've grown the economy. Here's how the Dow is, you know, thanking us profusely. Ha ha ha. Here's how the GDP stacks up. No one's getting out of bed in the morning thinking, wow, I wonder how that GDP is doing and I can't wait (laughs) to see whether it's great. They want to know how they're doing and they want to know that you're doing for them and working with them. How hard is it, though, to craft a message that's going to make people forget about gas prices or forget about the mortgage rates or they're, right, like they're paying on their credit cards. Down, There's like a reality but, that's happening. And you're basically saying, here's a message. Are you distracting them from mm. that reality? No, not at all. I think in many ways, what I would say is we're very aware of that reality. And we want to make sure that when we talk to them, we're helping them understand not what we're what we want to do about that reality and part of explaining why that reality is so. And so that was one of the findings of this research as well. When we talk to all these voters who are young people, people of color and swing white voters as well, they they didn't like they, they really wanted to hear more about the kind of why things are the way they are. And one of the things that popped up was certainly around corporations, like corporate price gouging, like, you know, actually the way that the Republicans have created the system where the rich just keep getting richer and it's and, you know, there's not enough for the middle class. So the the populism that that we've seen work and that we've seen popping out throughout the whole summer around the all the labor fights that were happening and the worker organizing People are hungry for that. And that's a way of breaking it out because it's like, yeah, things are hard right now. But first, let's paint you a picture of where we want to go. We want we want to create a better life for everyone where everything is easier and there's and you have less, um, you know, your your daily costs are less. But let's just not forget why this has happened. And when you listen to the difference between, you know, you get a solar panel, you get a sol- you get a highway, you get a bridge. And I'm exaggerating because I'm keen on exaggeration. And you know what? I know what you need. It's insulin that you can afford. It's getting to the doctor and not getting sick over the bill. And if pharma 
wants to stop me, they got another thing coming. So when you are simply touting accomplishments, but you are not providing, as Jen said, an origin story behind people's pain and behind their feeling that they do have more month than check because that is how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. then that origin story is the one that's supplied by the right. That it's cause mm-hmm. of too much government spending, that it's cause of yeah. immigrants, immigrants, that it's cause of. Yeah. I said in our promo for this, like, there's, I think, a common rap that, like, Republicans are better at messaging than Democrats. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Or do you think they just have better ways to reach their voters, like Fox News? And, and like, there's a whole right wing media ecosystem that is not, I don't think, equal on the left. Right. There is a there is a dis, um, disparity in the media ecosystem and how much the Republicans actually control. But they come up with things like death taxes and, you know, yeah. death panels. And <laughs> You're going to lose I, your doctor. I mean, one of my theories is that their ideas actually are very unpopular. Like the, their basic ideas, if you just poll people, are not popular. So they have had to put millions of dollars into marketing to figure out how to trick people into, you know, voting for them in, in, in these kind of gimmicks sayings and things. And I, don't, I wouldn't say they're better at it than us. I, I think we're quite good at it. They also <laughs> approach, I mean, you know, they, uh, political strategists say they play politics on easy mode for those video gamers, like electoral college, Senate, etc. All of the kind of built in advantages that Republicans have mm-hmm. layer on that a lot of gerrymandering. But what I would say is very instructive about what they do is that they are ever and always throwing red meat to their base. They understand absolutely that the base is the best messenger of the message and they are never attempting to temper their base or saying oh you've gone too far or oh my goodness you're being too extreme because what they know is that that's the way that you drag over the so-called overton window and so when their base is sort of frothing at the mouth At least they're wearing the hat, right? (laughs) And when you're a person who is apolitical, which is most people, most people are low information voters. That's the reality. And you land in the middle of the Central Valley or in the middle of Central Pennsylvania, and you haven't been paying attention and you don't know what's going on and you're wondering, huh, what does a me kind of a person think? And you see a sea of red MAGA hats and you see zero blue hats. You're like, I guess this is what a me kind of a person thinks. They employ social proof. On the left, we're always saying to our choir, oh, no, 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 no. Like you're saying too much. You're going too far. There's no daylight between the party and the movement on the right. Does there? Uh, does it matter that the Democratic Party is kind of shifting a little bit, like more out to the suburbs? Uh, does that populist message that might work with, say, working class folks work as well with, you know, say, more college educated people who are now seem to be shifting more more likely to the Democratic Party? It's extraordinary how much populism is popping. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry for the, you know, double. There's lots of percussives happening. I'm sorry to the engineers. Uh, when we ask folks in surveys, What is the reason that families are struggling, both with our swing voters and our surge voters? They're not confused. Corporations gouging prices, billionaires taking the wealth our work creates. Their first, second, third answer on down the line are all permutations of there is a handful of people who are sucking up the productivity gains. And that has been the case 
a rising tide does not lift all boats anymore. It purchases a handful of yachts for billionaires. And, you know, that's especially pointed here where we live, as we know. People are on to that. The competing uh, explanations that it's because of handouts or it's because of taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that registers, but nothing in comparison to how people, both college educated and non-college, understand exactly what's at play here. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Our guest today, Democratic messaging experts, I'm going to call you that, Anat Shanker <laughs> Osorio and Jennifer Fernandez and Kona. All right, well, let's switch gears and like t- brass tacks here. Like, how do you grade how, say, the Biden team is doing this so far? And what are we talking about? Are we talking about you know, what Biden says, how what they put in their ads, all of the above, like, I mean, Jennifer, you're you're thinking hard here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking back to one of your earlier questions. And, um, you know, I think what we saw in the midterms was this powerful drumbeat because we because we had a framework of what this election was about and about it being about our rights and freedoms and not letting the, you know, MAGA Republicans take it away. We did see that permeate across, you know, like all kinds of um, candidates were using it, the groups on the ground were using it, you were seeing it in your social feeds, you were seeing it in the press, it was showing up in the polling results. And so that's what we're looking for in 2024. That same thread around rights and freedoms is going to continue to be a thread of messaging in 2024. We've already seen it win a bunch of elections in 2023. But because the economy remains people's top concern always when you ask them, what do you care about? We have to be able to speak to people's economic reality. And so we are looking for that kind of idea that can kind of animate everyone, you know, whether it's Biden or someone running for Senate or someone running for Congress. You know, the elephant in the room a little bit is Biden's age and he's 81. He kind of looks older. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you think about the messaging around that? I mean, Ronald Reagan faced something similar in 1984. He kind of embraced it and made fun of it with Walter Mondale and it kind of worked for him. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? What should Biden be doing? Well, given that none of the Silicon Valley billionaires want to give us the blood of virgins potion that they've made to make <laughs> Biden younger, I've asked them they're not handing it over. We need to understand what is underpinning that age issue. Not going to change his age. But a lot of times what we see in our deep listening to voters is that, you know, concern about his age is actually a proxy for concern about his vigor, concern about does he take decisive action? Is he strong? And the places and times when he and other Democrats more broadly and movement groups and again, underscore, underscore what Jen said about labor that we saw last year. We closed out 2023 with 400 separate labor actions over the course of just that one year. Go unions. When Democrats demonstrate that they are in the ring and they are up for the fight, when he goes to the UAW as the first sitting president ever to actually be out on strike with people, mm-hmm. when he says to pharma, bring it on. When he talks back during the State of the Union. Yeah. When he talks <laughs> back during the State of the Union, when, you know, what's her face makes some sort of stupid remarks and they instantly turn it into an ad for themselves. Those are the moments when Representative Crockett claps back in a hearing. You can see how st- hungry the mm-hmm. Democratic base is for those moments 
of drawing a contrast. I think and that's why people like Gavin Newsom, honestly. Right? Yes. He's brought the fight to the other side. I want to ask, though, because all of this, we haven't, I mean, really uttered the T word, but this is all <laughs> in this moment. We only have a few minutes left, but of Trump, right? He is so singular. It doesn't feel like running a campaign against him is the same as running a campaign against, you know, David Valadeo, a moderate member of Congress, Republican member of Congress. So, mm-hmm. The Trump factor, like, is it is this same messaging going to work against him? I mean, I think it has to because, again, we don't want to be in a situation where people say, well, Trump was much better at the economy. And so therefore, we're going to ignore how we feel about, you know, all the different other things we don't like about him. We have to make a strong case about why we are going to make people's lives better with an economic plan that looks at investments in people that is trying to lower costs, that is actually doing something in a forward-looking way to give people a better life. And that that is, I think, part of the challenge here is that, you know, and part of why we did this research is because there's a disconnect between how, how well Biden has actually done on a lot of these economic questions, how much he has passed in policy that helps, and how much people give him credit for that. So we're trying to bridge that. So this idea of meeting people where they are and talking about their lives and we're- I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go for it. Yeah, we're short on time, but and this is a complicated question. But, you know, when you think about the Israel-Hamas war mm-hmm. and the impact that's having on younger voters, is there a way to frame a message around that that can be somehow unifying? Or mm-hmm. is that just like one of those, it's tough? What we've seen in other places, and I'm fortunate enough to get to work in other countries, is that the notion, especially when you are up against, you asked about Trump, a fascist, because let's just call a spade a spade. Right now, what this election is about is it's a contest between freedom and fascism. When voters understand that, we saw it in 2022, in the 15 states where a marquee MAGA Republican was on the ballot, voters turned out at historic numbers. They understood what was at stake and they did what they needed to do. With the situation in Israel and Gaza, the notion that if you don't decide, they'll decide for you, that message of speak for yourself and that righteous defiance around authoritarianism, that is a way to get folks, younger voters, I'm thinking in particular, to know that, yes, we do not have a system that provides us perfect options. What we have is to be able to live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. That is going to do it. Anat Shankar Osorio and Jennifer Fernandez and Kana, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Christopher Beal. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We'll see you next time. love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. 
This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.